Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County, Georgia Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our guest, Teresa Gay, newly elected president of the 9th Congressional District's Democratic Women's Network. Welcome to the show, Teresa. We're happy to have you here. Thank you, Meryl. I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. Teresa grew up in Appalachia in the coal mining area of eastern Kentucky, later moving to Lexington and then Chattanooga, Tennessee. She resided in Gwinnett County, Georgia with her husband in 1987 and relocated to Dahlonega in 2003. Teresa retired in December of 2019 after more than 40 years of working in the IT industry. She has been politically active all of her adult life and as a strong Democrat, although she holds values to the left of the party, as do I. She is a proud wife, mother, and grandmother, and in addition to chairing the 9th District Democratic Women's Network, she also serves on the board of Indivisible Lumpkin and is a committee member of the White County Democrats. Busy lady. She ran for county commissioner in 2018 in Lumpkin and is currently working on a degree in sociology at the University of North Georgia, a lifelong bucket list item she will graduate in December. Well, first, Congratulations on being elected as president of the 9th District Democratic Women. Uh, Let's dive right in. What are your group's objectives and goals this year? I wish to specifically touch on your voter registration efforts, your work to support Democratic candidates, and rebuff as many bad bills as possible. Let's start with your objectives and goals. Exactly, Meryl. Thank you. We want to give voters as much help as we possibly can to get out voters, get voters registered in a confusing time. There's been a lot of new legislation. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of media noise about voting, voter rights, what's changed. A lot of it focusing on handing out water, which unfortunately is one of the smaller issues that won't really be, I don't think, the major thing. And we will work on making sure that voters are aware where they can vote, what to do if their vote is challenged or their right to vote when they get to the polling place. We want to be sure that they have information ahead of that to know how to respond, who they can tell, where they can report it, and even more importantly, if their ballot is dismissed or has a problem, how they can cure that ballot. Those are the things that will be most important. Uh, What about absentee ballots and all the changes the Republicans have enacted with the Senate bill restricting ballot boxes and absentee? voting as well. I think the important thing is just to get the rules out there to make sure people understand what the new laws brought about. It's designed to keep people from wanting to even try to vote. It'll just try to discourage the vote. So we have to, as an organization, get in touch with prospective voters and make sure that they're armed with as much information as we can give them. I saw in the 2020 elections that sometimes you could knock on a voter's door and they would say, no, you know, I'm just not sure when I'm supposed to vote. They just really did not have the basic information. So the objective will be to get out the information. You can't change the laws at this point. The best we can do is arm the voters 
with that information of what they're allowed and not allowed to do, how they get their absentee ballot, and make sure that they have that opportunity to exercise their right to vote. Are you concerned that voter turnout in this critical election year is going to be dampened, which of course is the intent of the law. It's law now. So are you concerned that it's going to tamp down voter turnout or what are your thoughts on that? I'm very concerned that it will tamp down. That certainly is one of the goals is to discourage voting. And I feel like the only way we can overcome that is talk to voters encourage them and say it's not insurmountable. It may be a little different than years past. Maybe you've always ordered an absentee ballot and just driven by and dropped it in a box. And that may not be the way you can do it this time. But there is a way to vote and we're going to help you find the best way for that person or that household. We have to help them see under their circumstances what their best route is and what they can do. A lot of education there, which is great. I think education is the only thing we can really focus on at this point. Right. The confusion is what discourages people. Well, there is quite a bit of confusion, especially with the closure of voting precincts in rural areas and in areas where people may not have vehicles to travel 10 or 15 miles to the next precinct. So how will we be able to help those folks? You know, it'll depend on the individual circumstances, but there's volunteers that will be willing to give rides or perhaps the local church buses or like taxi services. It depends on the community itself. But there's ways to get people to the polls. And you just have to look at the community and what restrictions they have and look at your resources and apply the resources you have to the situation. Right. And I would also emphasize that it's more critical to vote this year than ever. It is a critical election year. So we need to ensure that as many people as possible are able to overcome these restrictions, because in my estimation, Republicans can't win unless they restrict voting rights, which tells us that they're afraid of the majority of people not following their dictates or their policies or electing Republicans. So it's a sad state of affairs, but we're lucky to have people like you who are working to make it better. So tell us more about your work to support Democratic candidates. What does the Ninth District Women's Group do in that arena? We can put together candidate forums to invite candidates out so people can hear their platforms, just get the word out. But as soon as qualifying is over, then we know who our candidates are. And really what we do is reach out to them, give them a chance to come to our meetings or just set up, like I said, special events for candidates. There's two special events already for candidates planned in April that One of them, we're co-sponsor. Another one, we're just going to help however we can where, you know, several candidates can get out and see a crowd message in in front of the voters, then just asking the candidate themselves where they feel like they need help. Do they need help with mailings? Do they need volunteers? And our organization is there to offer help wherever we can, depending on what they need. Fantastic. Well, I just want to put in a plug for the Fannin County Democratic Party. We're also holding a candidate forum on Saturday, April 30th, working alongside our sister counties. And it should be a great turnout from 11 to 4 here in Blue Ridge. So I believe a lot of our North Georgia groups are working very hard 
to make that happen. I'm excited for that event. I have it on my calendar and we have been advertising that. Yes. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person (laughs) on the 30th of April. I look forward to it. Fantastic. Let's talk about bad bills. I mean, obviously Georgia SB 202 was a bad bill, which was the voting restriction suppression bill by Georgia Republicans. What else does your group do, the Ninth District Democratic Women specifically, to help rebuff these bad bills and to help pass good ones? I think the most important thing we can do is call our legislatures, whoever that may be. You can look it up online and find out who you need to contact, but let your representatives know how you feel. And often they don't hear directly from voters. So when voters call into their office, even if you're just talking to the college student that's answering the phone and you say, I'm Teresa Gay, I'm one of your constituents and I want you to oppose constitutional carry and then rattle off the number, that will be reported to the representative. And it sounds like, well, so what? How much difference will that make? When they hear from people in rural areas, I think it gets a lot of attention because they don't expect it. They usually hear probably more from the big cities, Atlanta type folks than us. Right. So uh, it's important to teach our members what the bad bills are that need pushback. Give them the phone numbers and say, just call Call every day if you can and leave a message. Or if you're lucky enough to get through, yes, talk to your representatives and say, we're opposed to that. Or recently when I called into Steve Gooch's office about a particular bill, and it might have been constitutional carry, I don't remember, but just send this back and see if you can't write it a little better. You know, okay, I don't like this the way it is. So maybe you suggest, let's just send this back through and see if we can get a little bit better written bill. So those are the main things, I think, is just let your representatives know you're opposed to a bill or you're in favor of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're excited about this bill, whatever it is. And I hope you'll support it. And when like Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff get broadband money for Lumpkin County, like they announced this past Friday, call them up and thank them for what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. And I know they appreciate hearing from their constituents. And it's a numbers game, right? The more people who voice their opposition or support, the more the legislators know that they're on the right path. Hopefully, that is certainly the hope that we have. So that's a wonderful thing. And thank you for bringing that up because it is so important. Moving on, you stated that you are to the left of the Democratic Party, as am I, as I stated. Why is that? And what do you believe the Democratic National Committee or DNC should do to reflect growing progressive values with Democrats these days? Well, I look at it like they have shifted to the right, as has the entire country. When I was first voting and learning about Democratic National Committee and things like that, what was considered centrist or moderate positions then now is considered extreme left. And so I just feel like they changed. I didn't, but I would love to see much more support for unions. Mm -hmm. I would love to see much more support for minimum wage and support for workers. We've had a huge upheaval just now from the pandemic or whatever cause of this great resignation. Mm -hmm. I think that's an opportunity for employees to 
change the game a little bit and upset the power balance. And I would like to see Democrats support that and the DNC support that, support some upset in the balance of power as far as workers go. I would have to agree. And I certainly think that we should push left in order to be a complete contrast to the far right of the Republican Party today. It's hard to toe both lines, right? Right. And it's not just unions, it's health care. Absolutely, health care huge. You know, build back better child care and so many other issues that are being obstructed in the U.S. Senate, even as we speak. And circling back to constitutional carry in the Georgia Republicans' never-ending efforts to turn Georgia into Texas, the Georgia Senate just passed being able to carry guns without licensure. Yeah. Wild, wild west. Yeah. The wild, wild west and eradicates a, an entire background requirement. What are your thoughts on that? It's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It will result in many more innocent deaths, unnecessary innocent deaths. And the fact of the matter is there's no good to come from it. With many legislation pieces, you can say, well, OK, it's got this negative, but it's also got this positive. You know, often Republicans can come back and say, well, this is why we're in favor of it, because this is the good it'll do. Right. I can't imagine what they could say was good about even more unlicensed guns out in public. I'll be honest with you. It scares the heck out of me. It really does. I remember when they passed it for carrying guns on college campuses. That was terrifying. Mm. I mean, to me, that was a situation that was fraught with danger. And this is even worse. It's really horrifying. And it's very likely that Governor Kemp will sign that bill. Very likely. Yes. So. And like I said, what's the good he'll get of that? Just his base is riled up. That's really it. Well, in his estimation to be reelected because he's trying to, as so many Georgia Republicans are, cater to the far right. What are your thoughts on Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and utter embarrassment, national embarrassment, if not international, as far as I'm concerned? What are your thoughts on her speaking to a far right white nationalist group just last week? She was kind of saying the quiet part out loud. They're no longer trying to cover it up. Mm -hmm. She is comfortable with saying, I support white supremacy. Right. And she's comfortable with that hitting the news and then going to the CPAC and speaking there. And they're all just getting very cozy with this and very comfortable. And I think she absolutely needs to be voted out of office. Oh, yes. And we have some wonderful candidates running against her as well. I'd like to add specifically Marcus Flowers and Holly McCormick and Wendy Davis Mm -hmm. of Rome, Georgia. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to make that happen. What do you think the end game is? for Republicans at this point, following Trump, Trumpism, and all of the far right-wing policies, embracing those to get elected and being so short-sighted merely to be in power. What are your thoughts on that? Because it cannot sustain itself, I don't believe. I don't think it can sustain itself. I mean, the end game for Trump and his supporters is an autocracy. And why the people are enthused about that, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But I think what the end result will be 
I'm hoping is another party. I think the Republicans will at some point be forced to split. Some of them are just not going to go with that game. And the ones that are going to support Trump are going to be left entirely out of the conversation or they're going to form another party. Are you surprised that hasn't happened yet? Because right now... I am surprised. I am too, because right now the party as a whole seems to be embracing this as a way to get elected and stay in power by an extremely vocal minority within the country. And they are a minority. So I'm looking at the Lincoln Project Mm -hmm. and other Republican groups that are fighting this. How long do you think it will take? I mean, we have Republicans shouting their support for Putin right now against Ukraine, which is insane. It's like if Trump says it, I'm going to repeat it. But even reading that Tucker Carlson's comments are now being repeated on Russian TV. That is incredible to me that he is being a Russian asset and people are okay with that. We just see it out. It's just out in the open and it not being challenged. He's not being fired or it's just amazing to me. I don't know how long it will take for the party to split. I think likely that some Republicans are trying to hang on to their power and to their office until they see how 2024 shapes up. And also a lot of the legal actions that are going on against Republicans and even Trump and his family. I think there's a game going on of let's see how this plays out. Maybe the equation will be changed without us doing anything and we can have the Republican Party back. I doubt that's true. I just think it's gone too far. And even if people are jailed or whatever happens, I think you'll still end up with a need for a new party, a fresh start. The name Republican is so tainted now. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how they can keep going. But I do think right now they're in a holding pattern to see what shapes up in 2024. Well, there's no doubt about that. And certainly if they can remain in power, they're going to. <laughs> They've shown that that's really what they want, <laughs> not to serve their constituents. Certainly. certainly not doing anything to help people. That's No, none of them, as far as I'm concerned, but holding on to the power that comes with it. I believe their lack of values and their lack of willingness to understand exactly what it is that their constituents want and need Mm -hmm. is going to create a tremendous problem moving forward. But I'm hoping it's short term. I'm really hoping that all of this is going to pass. You brought up an interesting point about the minority rule. I would like to see Democrats nationally and locally take back their majority power. We have allowed a small minority to hold this country in a stranglehold for way too long. I agree. And I would really like to see some serious action taken to negate that. And I don't know on a national level what that would be and what that even looks like. But I know that Mitch McConnell should not have more power than Chuck Schumer. Uh, No, and it makes no sense. And when you see these things that people are opposed to or people, you know, 70% of Americans polled say they're in favor of this or against that. And it makes no difference into what you see coming out of Washington. That's just wrong. It's frustrating. And watching Senators Manchin and Cinema, who should be Republicans at this point, they're Democrats in name only, holding up President Biden's agenda is beyond disheartening. And I don't know what they can do on the national level 
but I do believe they need to work toward overcoming these obstacles as well. Yeah, the minority rule that we've got right now is unacceptable in my book. Yes, I completely agree. So thank you for that. And we're lucky to have you in the fight. Moving on, and I'm going to pivot away from the political piece for just a moment, because out of my own personal curiosity, I must ask you about your upcoming sociology degree. First of all, congratulations on that. And why sociology? And is your coursework solely for personal, professional reasons or both? It is solely personal. It's a field that's just always fascinated me because it ties into my love of politics. Why do people do the things they do? And what in society drives the changes? How did the country shift right? I feel like that's a question you study in sociology. I've taken a lot of classes and what I'm taking right now is on globalization and what that affects in our country to have cultures meeting head to head like they do now. So often in our world allows a mixture of people on a much higher scale than has ever happened. And that changes things, even on a very, very local level. So sociology seemed to me to be a way to try to grasp the changes that I've seen over my lifetime. Like uh, you may remember what happened to Kansas. It was a very blue state. And then all of a sudden they went completely the other way, red, Texas. When I was younger, Ann Richards was a leader in Texas and she was extremely progressive. And Texas is absolutely the standard for backwards now. You know, they've certainly done a 180. And right now, I also read this morning that Lambda Legal and the ACLU are suing Governor Greg Abbott. And of course, several groups, abortion rights groups are suing him for the restrictive abortion law, which is actually hurting women and will eventually start killing women in that state because abortion is health care. Yes. But they're suing over his treatment of trans children. Mm -hmm. And having people report, like the Nazis, having people report any trans care that kids might be receiving, it's utterly beyond my ability to comprehend. I just don't get it. And it's not just Nazis. I mean, look what happened in America. Mm -hmm. You know, the blacklisting and uh, people reporting the communists. Oh, sure. During the McCarthy era in the 50s. McCarthyism. It's exactly like McCarthyism. Yes. Or you could go all the way back to the witch hunts. Turn your neighbor in, Mm -hmm. you know, and that never leads to anything good. No, it's certainly not a good thing or a positive thing. So I am worried about our future. Politics being what it is, though, doesn't the pendulum always swing from one extreme to the other? It seems to feel that way. Seems like it. And we are definitely swinging still to the right. Mm -hmm. But I do hope that's about to turn and head back the other direction. But that's the reason I was studying sociology. Fantastic. Well, we're lucky to have you and all your knowledge (laughs) in the Democratic Party. So thank you for that. So it is Women's History Month. And I would be remiss not to ask what that means to you as a woman, political operative, candidate, and leader of a woman's organization. Tell us what it means to you on all those levels. You know, I think that women have been sidelined in leadership in our society for way too long. But in recent times, they have started being recognized for their abilities. Women have so much better ability, in my opinion, to lead than men. 
And men always labeled us as, oh, too emotional or too frail. And we know as women that that's not true. And it's just such a good time now to see that that myth is finally being laid to rest with people like the vice president, with Stacey Abrams running for governor, with the new Supreme Court justice that will be a person of color and a woman. Mm -hmm. What it means to me is women have always been there and doing the important things just without the recognition or the power. And now I see that there's a trend that is allowing women to be in true leadership and use the power and knowledge and skills that they have to do good for the country. And yet that myth has not been laid to rest. Not yet. We're working toward it, certainly, but we're fighting the same battles our grandmothers fought. I marched for the ERA. Yes. Back in my college days, you know, 100 years ago, ago, as I like to say, a long time ago. And the women's rights movement came to flourish after Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique back in the 60s, early 60s. -hmm. So early to mid 60s, I can't remember the exact date, but how long are we going to have to fight these battles before we finally win and become completely equal? Not to mention that we still don't get equal pay. How are we going to make that happen after so many decades? Well, the women's soccer certainly made a dent in that for us. Yes, they are now receiving equal pay. Thank you very much. It is an ongoing battle. We need representatives that will help us make changes in laws that will get us equal pay and that will finally get the ERA in place. We are fighting the same battles because those same old white men aren't wanting to let go. They're always going to go back to abortion. They're always going to go back to the things that they think keep women in their place. And we're seeing a lot of that, though, die away. I just don't think it has the same power that it used to. And every time they bring up these old stories saying they're protecting women or whatever their storyline is, it gets a little weak. So I don't know when they'll finally give up. We know they don't care about babies or children. Oh, no, they certainly don't care about what happens to them after they're born, just when they're a fetus. Yes. It is just a storyline to try to distract and deter women from being out on the front lines. And I think they'll keep it up as long as they think they get any good feedback from it. But those things are slowly losing their power. So it does feel like two steps forward, one step back at times. But I want to emphasize that it's critical that we keep fighting. Absolutely. We have to keep fighting until we get what we deserve. In your estimation, what is the number one issue facing women in our country today? Child care. Okay. Tell us why that is. I just think women bear the brunt of child care. And most women that want to have careers and be in leadership are also wanting to have a family. It is an absolute crisis that we don't have good, reliable child care and all the things that go with that, like the time off for being with your baby after giving birth, medical care, like you said, health care, all those factors come into it. And just being able to be leaders and be power holders, but also be able to have our families and have our children. I think that's what we've got to try to work toward. Right. So women have the opportunities to go out and work and not have to worry. And childcare is so 
expensive. Right. My goddaughter has two daughters and childcare is a big chunk of her salary. So if you can get it. Yes. Yes, there is that if you can get it and afford it. So I think that's one of the very important issues for women right now. Yes. Thank you for that. It certainly is. So if someone wants to learn more about you, learn more about the Ninth District Democratic Women's Group, learn more about what you do or volunteer, join or donate, where would you send them? There is a wonderful website that's ga9ddwn.org. We have a good web page and a good Facebook page. Yes, you do. And I imagine that increasing members is also a goal as well. Power in numbers. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We'd love to have as many women on board as possible. And finally, and I ask all my guests this question, they tell me it's the hardest question to answer. Tell us a fun fact about yourself, something just about you, not necessarily related to politics or your work or your activism. Tell us something interesting just about Teresa. One thing might be that I'm a a Mormon, a member of the Latter-day Saints, which is by far one of the most conservative churches. Oh my, yes, it is. I'm surprised. And uh, it's a big surprise. And I stand out like a sore thumb, but. Well, you and Mitt Romney. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So that's an interesting fact, but there are many things about it I do love, but I have to keep my political views on the down low. (laughs) I can only imagine why Mormonism. Is that how you were raised or? It is not how I was raised. Actually, my husband had been in that church. And when I married him, he talked a lot about it. And the interesting thing is Mormon women tend to be very strong women. I don't know if it was that whole thing of going west back in the day or what, but they are very strong women. And I was very fascinated by that. When you know them. They're not subservient. And I just really liked a lot of the things about the teachings of the church. And so I got caught up in it and I've been a member for about 35 years. Wow. <laughs> so you've been able to reconcile the patriarchy. Exactly. Many churches are patriarchal in nature, I have to say, but some less so than others. I'm thinking Episcopalians tend to be quite liberal. So that's really interesting. Well, thank you, Teresa, for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support Democratic Party policy and maintain our democracy. Well, thank you. (laughs) I'm Meryl Clark. And on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue podcast. To learn more about us, and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FannonCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. Share the North Georgia Blue podcast with your friends and family and be sure to subscribe and follow. And if you enjoy our podcast, consider being a founding patron and friend of the show at NorthGeorgiaBluePodcast.com slash patron now with three different giving levels to choose from offering cool swag recognition on the show and website and valuable gift cards to help us continue getting into more good trouble 